Nine-yard line, shotgun snap to Rodgers, second and seven, line drive throw, back in the end zone, and a turning two-handed, leaping catch under the crossbar. Adams, touchdown, Green Bay. Rodgers under center, the snap, and a quick throw, and it's caught by Montgomery, who gets a block from one of those receivers on the far sideline, and prances into the end zone on a two-yard touchdown pass by Aaron Rodgers. Mahomes off play action, backside pressure comes, steps in the pocket, going deep, wide open at the 40-yard line is Hill, down the left sideline to the 30, turns on the speed at the 20, inside the 10, touchdown Tyreek Hill, one play, 75 yards, and we're an extra point away from tying it up. Goff fakes the handoff, rolls to his right, throws back to his left, Gurley the catch in the 15, the 10, the 5 gets a block, Gurley goes in for the third time today. Touchdown, Todd Gurley. Touchdown, L.A. Well, on a pleasant October evening back here in the greater Portland area, stretching all the way back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, this podcast is for posterity. He's Connor White. I'm Judah Newby. What's up, Connor? What's up, man? How you doing? Good, man. How's Tulsa this time? It's cold. It's like probably 51 now. But uh, I didn't bring my winter clothes on this trip, so I've been pretty cold. Dude. <laughs> wow. And how long are you over there for? I should be here like two more weeks, and then I'm heading back out to New York where all my winter clothes are. There you go. Dude, oh, well, not to uh, rub it in or anything, but it was 75 today, like all day. And you know, I mean, if the Pacific Northwest provides anything, Seriously. it's a handful of nice autumn fall days. But wow, that's um, nice. you know, and especially around football time, it's that much sweeter. Um, coming up on our conversation today, we want to talk about a specific scenario in the Monday Night Football game last night, where the Packers beat the 49ers 33 to 30, a game that the 49ers entered as plus nine and a half point underdogs and had a very good shot to win on the road with a backup quarterback. Talk about that. And uh, another topic that branches off of that regarding the philosophy that the Green Bay Packers organization takes. And, you know, as informed football fans as you and I both are, just kind of our overall thoughts on how that might be impeding their championship pursuits with one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived the earth, if not the greatest. Uh, and then we'll talk about a couple of things at the very end as well. But uh, first of all, this Monday night game last night, Connor, frankly, I was... A little bit surprised that the 49ers were competing as high as they were. I mean, this was a 17-14 game after one quarter. One quarter. And then you look at the rushing stats. We were just talking about it a moment ago. They rushed 30 times for a buck 74 on the Green Bay defense. Like, you know what? Give Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit. He had his offense ready to play in this game on the road in prime time without their starting quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo. But that being said, there was a scenario at the end where maybe, maybe you could argue, given a little bit more aggression, I mean, this is it. We unpacked the process, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. where I didn't get to see this part live, but where are we sitting late fourth quarter when the 49ers have the ball fourth and one inside their own 15-yard line? So I want to say the Niners, so the Niners get the ball back with about four, eight minutes left in the game. They just had a fourth, fourth and goal stop on the Packers. Um, they're up seven, and they run a run play and get one yard. They run a run play in the game, 
and then they run a pass play and get nine yards. So it's fourth and one on their minus 13. Right. With give or take six minutes. So I texted you at that point, and I said, would you, I asked you, would you go for it? Here, let's talk about this. And here's why I wanted to talk about this, because if you run this through our filter, the best outcome, well, the best outcome is a touchdown for you, but the, the most reasonably best outcome is you get that first down. We've already ran the ball approximately 30 times for a buck 70. You're averaging over five yards a carry. Um, and your line has gotten a really good push hmm. pretty much all game. Um, the second thing is if you don't get it, which we know the data on this, you usually you convert about 80% of your fourth and ones. So that's data point number one. Data point number two is you've already ran the ball well. Data point number three is the worst possible outcome in this scenario is that you would end up being down one point with some amount of time left on the clock. That is the absolute worst possible outcome from this scenario. But even then, it's so unlikely that the Packers would go for two that the worst, most likely outcome would be that you're tied with the ball in your hands against a team that you've already scored 30 points against. <laughs> that being said, and I, I would argue the... <clears throat> The being down by one point with some amount of time left argument is the strongest in my mind. I'm like, wow, that's worst case scenario. But on the other side, it's not like if you convert that, you don't win the game necessarily either. So it's not like, you know, the reward for the risk is ultimate victory like we were discussing with McVeigh you know, a little bit ago and, and that type of thing. So, so how does that play into the decision-making process? Yeah, I, I, that's the so that was the point that I wanted to bring up, and I think I think it's really good that you brought it up. Is I that's what I would have to be weighing. I know that for myself personally, being the aggressive kind of football philosophy that I am, I would be going for it. Um, but that's just because of how I am. Given what you just said, though, I I do think that essentially what you gain from that is you are going to be able to run at least an additional two minutes off the clock if you convert. So you go from the Packers getting the ball back with six minutes left to go and probably getting the ball in your minus 45 to getting the ball back with four minutes left to go and let's say you gain five or six more yards, they're on their minus 39 or minus 38. And uh, again, and that's that's if you aren't able to convert another first down against a team that you've moved the ball on very easily all game. Right, right. So, so there you go. There's there's playing out the and this that's actually a great reminder of the process here because you brought up a good point. What's the worst case scenario if you don't get it? But then you have to then conversely ask the question: What's the worst case scenario if you do get it? which would be not getting another first down, punting it, well, you know, I guess barring a turnover. And maybe that affects your play calling after the first down as well with Beathard, of course. But if you think about, if you play out the worst case scenario, if you do get it, what have you really won by going for it? Two more minutes. Against Aaron Rodgers? 
Does that matter? Yeah, dude. No, it doesn't. He only needed, he needed a minute. Yeah, that's so what I mean. Take, if you take those additional two minutes, yeah. what if he only has 30 seconds with no timeouts? Well, 30 seconds is different needing a field goal to win the game as opposed to, like, getting the ball with four minutes with a touchdown to tie. I mean, in my opinion, in my opinion, if you punt after just getting the one first down, you <laughs> you may have just avoided disaster by going for it on fourth down. Like, right, but in, you're, you're, hold on, hold on. Because you're assuming that disaster is not converting. The end. The end goal is to win the game. Right. And so, even if you don't convert, you still. It's not like you not converting doesn't mean that they automatically have to score. Right. You have to. You have. I mean, they probably will. But just like we like, so what we're looking at right now is we're saying, okay, I have an eighty percent chance to convert a fourth and one. If I don't get it, what are their chances of actually scoring a touchdown? Is it eighty? Is it 90? Is it 75? Is it 70? Now, okay, right, right. So, nitty-gritty, how much of that percentage calculation that you're doing in your head is, um, you know, past sample size, and how much of that is playing the hunches from the context within the game in which you're playing currently? Like, as you mentioned, if you're going for it on fourth and one, part of it is a confidence that you've run the ball in this particular game so well. Not sample size data from games in the past that suggest X, right? Totally, totally. So that matters, that actually, right? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because one of the things that I was going to say is as the 49ers, I probably would run in that scenario. If I was the Patriots, I would be in the shotgun, Gronk somewhere, maybe another tight end, two wide receivers, and a running back. And I would let Brady do a check with me and maybe pass the ball in that scenario. Well, so that's the phrase back, you brought up two weeks yeah. ago. Do what you do best in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And so that was that was one of the things I wanted to get to is the Niners eventually lost that game more so because of, as sad as this is, one bad C.J. Beathard play right. than anything else. I mean, if you really want to look at that game, if Beathard doesn't throw that pick, uh, well... I mean, I think the, he might or might not have been able to pin them deeper or something. But that pick was a big momentum shift. And he had a guy open in the flat. Um, so. You know, you know what's Actually, kind of ironic about this? The, the scenario in which we're talking about the Niners. Do you remember what Green Bay did the following drive? They punted, didn't they? They lost nine yards and they punted. Yeah. On a third and thirteen sack of Rodgers. Yeah. So I remember. How do, how does that factor into our discussion? Well, I mean, so one of the things it's it's always impossible to say, okay, well if they convert it and then they run three plays and then punt and then they do the third and thirteen. We have no idea if that would actually happen or not. Right. But let's say that does happen. So the Niners get the ball back instead of with four minutes left, they get the ball back with two minutes left. That means the Packers get the ball back from the Niners again after they stop them again, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. again, my point is, those extra two minutes matter. Yeah, but, I mean, I not, now, now I worry that we're going down a rabbit hole of hypotheticals, which yeah. is really hard to use in, when you're talking about decision-making processes. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, so let's, let's go back. Let's go back to the risk reward. Right. Weighing both sides. Right. So you have an eighty percent chance, probably higher, given how well you've done that night, of converting the first down, and then getting three more sets or four more sets of downs to get another ten yards. Right. Okay. On the yes. On the flip but, side. But would you agree that a fourth and one from the minus thirteen? Well, maybe, maybe not. I might be wrong on this. I'm willing to be wrong on this. It just seems it's that it would be less likely to convert fourth and one from the minus 13 than it would be fourth and one at the plus 40. No, I think they're the same. You can run all the same plays. The only, the only place where it's more difficult is when you're within the opponent's 10-yard line because you have less of a field to use. Right. So it's easier for the defense to defend a shorter area. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. That actually gets me to the second point I want to make about short yardage situations. Do you want to go there now? Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Uh, what so, do you think about short yardage situations? <laughs> so what a segue. I, um, I think I was 12 for 12 on third and one or fourth and one conversions. As a quarterback in high school. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, and the reason why is because I would always either go first sound or I would go on two. Why would why why would I do that? First reason is because first sound means you have the element of surprise. Right. Everyone's always going to be expecting motion. You've been told don't jump, don't jump, don't jump, don't jump. So if you're going for it on fourth and one. I would walk up to the center real slow, and then as soon as I got under center, it was go. And me and him would just go, because all you need is a yard. Right. So if you get that first surge and you beat everybody else at the point of attack, right. you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And then if you go on two, what happens is you give that first hard hut, and everybody settles. Then you go hut again real quick, and it's the same scenario playing out. Mm-hmm. Everybody settles. Your guys don't. You go on to, again, you get that element of surprise. I don't think enough quarterbacks do that, except for Brady. Well, Brady, <clears throat> Brady's masterful. I think Rodgers is masterful with hard counts in general. Unbelievable. And you'll see referees from time to time throw the flag when the quarterback's in the pistol or shotgun and, <clears throat> like, hunch a little too pronounced. Yeah. I always thought it was silly, but, um, yeah. you know, it's – it, I was watching the Washington Oregon game, and um, Neil Lomax, uh, who played in the NFL for a while, brought this up too. Like they'll just use language called uh, "rally, rally" is what he called it. He's like "rally, rally." It's like everybody get up to the football on a on a you know one to go or inches to go type of scenario, and just first movement kind of go get that initial surge and get it. Um, so, how how would you decide which of those? To use the first sound or the go on two, would it be predicated on what the defensive line has done in in recent plays or that game? You're like, oh, they're they're trigger happy. I'm going to go on two here, or hey, man, I think I can get him flat footed. Like, is that a feel thing or is that? Yeah, it's more of a feel thing. I would say it's more if I saw something on film throughout the week, I would uh-huh. be making decisions during that period of time, so that way the decision was made before. Mm-hmm. I usually lean toward first sound because, again, the potential for 
negative outcomes, one of our guys could jump on one sometimes. Whereas if you go for a sound, you eliminate bad potential outcomes in terms of procedure penalties. Because lots of times it's just you in the center, essentially you guys just go as one. And then everyone else follows suit. And you're just kind of like a spear. And if you only need one yard, he falls forward, you fall forward. You yeah. fall on top of him and just keep rolling. Yeah. So you bring this up, why? Because not enough teams are doing this. I bring this up because I, I almost never see first sound. Mm. And I specifically almost never see first sound at, for quarterback sneaks. So one of the things that, another thing that I used to do is if I was in third and one, fourth and one, or goal to go anywhere inside the two yard line and there was no nose guard, I would tap my center twice on the leg and he and I, no one else, just he and I knew we're going. Oh. And, and so like, it, and you know, it's just like those things where I don't see, again, except for Brady, mm-hmm. I don't see other quarterbacks that are playing with that sort of awareness. Right. And I wish that other quarterbacks besides Brady and Rodgers would because you can take advantage of defenses through a lot of other means besides just proper play schematics and execution. Like tempo is such an important aspect of how you play quarterback and it's lost on so many of these guys. Well, first of all, I'm going to be looking out for that more. Um, And then second of all, what you just brought up, tempo at the quarterback position. Um, I saw that firsthand, and again, in the Washington-Oregon game as keenly as I was watching it. Um, you can find this as well. First half, uh, tied-up ball game, Washington. Nice drive into plus territory, plus 25 maybe. About a second and seven, I want to say. Um, they break the huddle. And mind you, this this was an unconventional huddle. It was one of those half huddles, like four yards off the ball, maybe. Mm-hmm. Break the huddle super quick as Oregon's defense is still getting aligned. And then they run uh, like this um, a wide receiver end, end around, like sprint. He starts like in motion. He start, yeah, he starts in motion, and then they run as he approaches the tackle. They snap the ball, and immediately the defense's eyes are going to the motion and then tracking him, and they're already unsettled because the movement from this half huddle to the line of scrimmage, you know how in Madden you can, like, hold the X button or the A button and, and bust ass to the line of scrimmage, you know? Like, I do that every time. It finally tires my guys out, but that's what it looked like. They just boom, 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 busted ass to the line of scrimmage, and the defense wasn't ready. Then they run this jet sweep motion, and they fake it to them. And the whole defense went, boom, and then they just did the HB pitch, the counter, basically. To the backside. To the backside. And it went to the house without a single guy touching him. And it was all set up by the tempo out of the huddle to the line line of scrimmage because it was it was uh it broke uh consistency and it broke routine. Right. It just right. I mean that yeah. to me that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, as a play caller, that's another element that you forget is at your disposal is simply tempo between plays. Yeah. That's what McVay does really well too, by the way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you watch any Rams Broncos? No, I actually didn't see any of it, sadly. Hey, so Gurley, um, he had a huge game, as I'm sure you're aware. 
I couldn't think of a better comparison than what you offered Marcus Allen. I can't think of one right now. That was a it's great crazy. comparison. How'd you think of that? He just he's the same kind of tall, long striding, gliding menace. Except for Todd's like bigger, stronger, faster, and more powerful somehow. Wow. Like he Todd is like you wanna talk prototype running back, like you build Todd Gurley. That's a Seriously. that's a good quote right there. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Like think about it. Like that dude has great hands, good route runner, good feet. He like can evaporate and then appear like between holes. He's like untouchable. He can run through you, he can run over you, he can run around you, he can hop over you. Like what can't that guy do? Boy. You know, and this might be a subtopic that we can explore later, but I also think for as talented as Gurley is and as talented as a lot of players on that team are, how blessed are they to be in that offense? Yeah, I know. Like, I know. And, and the subtopic to explore, I think, is one we've touched on lightly before, is how do we balance the... How do we appropriate the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're trying to give credit. A, yes, thank you. How do we appropriate the credit when the marriage is that perfectly seamless? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. No, I, well, I think what you do is you go go look at what Todd did the year before McKay was there and then look at the, what he's doing now. <laughs> Same could be said for Jared Goff, right? Exactly, exactly. So you, I, you know, to me, what McVeigh is doing is what every good coach does, which is he's putting his guys in positions where they can be successful. It's beautiful. All right, well, yeah, we gotta let's mark that conversation for uh, for another pod. Um, you know, there was something else that we were thinking about bringing. Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I know we're nearing the end a little bit, but. The general conversation around where the Green Bay Packers are at at this point, 2018, as a pro football franchise with arguably the greatest talented quarterback to ever walk the earth. And yet, there's I know there's a acute worry in Packer Nation, but when you're talking about a player like this and a team like this, there's a sense of worry among NFL fans in general, Packer fans or not, that this guy might not see another big time stage at any point in his career and I think maybe the organization is to blame for this. What do you think? Totally. I, I, I've been I've been so frustrated by the lack of organizational action to go and get talent to surround Rodgers on offense and to go and get talent on defense for him. And it's really bothered me because I felt I feel like and it felt like that they're wasting this guy's best years. I feel like they have almost been too patient and they have not tried to surround him with talent when they've had the opportunities to. Specifically, I mean, the defense has been mediocre to really bad for the last three or four seasons. And then if you look at what they've done on the offensive end, they have not gone and gotten talent when talent has been available to go get. What comes to mind specifically when you say that? Well, I mean, the two, so, I mean, we talked about this before, but the two, like, 
the Patriots are the gold standard, obviously. Um, but what comes to mind specifically is like Josh Gordon. They could have gotten Josh Gordon for a fourth round pick. Hmm. Like thinking about that right now, imagine Josh Gordon with Aaron Rodgers. How good that guy is with how good Rodgers is, and then and then what's what's really important to think about with something like that is the cascade effect that happens because all of a sudden Josh Gordon's the guy who's always going to need to be doubled, or who's always going to have to have a safety rolled over the top. So that means Devontae Adams now is never going to be doubled ever. That means Jimmy Graham never going to be doubled ever. That means the running backs are always going to be facing an even easier box now. That means. You know, every single guy all of a sudden starts facing lesser competition or yep. easier competition because of that. Complimentary just, football. Just from just from one move, and they didn't go do that. Now, now, let me flesh out a couple other things here, and we'll just start here. Where is the validity with the off the field concerns? Totally valid, but let's let's go to a different one. Let's go to Brandon Cooks. Cooks could have. What did the Pats trade trade to get him? A third or a fourth round pick? I think it was fourth. Yeah, it was a fourth. Uh, they trade. So yeah. so let's say the Packers give up the third round pick and go get Brandon Cooks, speedster, can blow the top off a of defense, um, no off the field concerns, one of the most productive receivers we've had over the last four seasons. And you're telling me that that guy can't go and be productive in a Green Bay offense in his first season there? I'll, I'll, I'll add another one. Why'd they let Jordy Nelson go? Well, Jordy was different, and here's why. Because Jordy hurt his knee, and he never regained his top speed back since then. And that's actually, that, that, I'm, that move, ironically enough, I was okay with, and here's why. What, what the Patriots are best at, I think better than even going and getting talent, is they're best at cutting bait when they know they need to. Because it's better to underpay a worse player than it is to overpay a player that's no longer what they were. That's a topic to mark. Actually, that is a topic to mark because I have a lot of stats and data on that. Really? I talked to a, I talked to a guy who is now part of this Titan scouting organization, and he did like I think he did a sixty-six page Excel sheet on correlations between ways to spend money and team success. This guy and I really got along well. <laughs> that is beautiful. But like, here's, here's another great example. is Why is Clay Matthews still on that team? <laughs> Dude. Why? And he's getting paid more. Like, they could go pick up a veteran on the league minimum, pay him less than they're paying Clay Matthews, and get the same amount of production. See, now... We've been talking about a lot of coaching process yeah. recently. Yeah. I think there's a whole branch to be discovered here with executive process. Executive, player personnel, decision-making process, and be, organizational you know, philosophy. Because like, yes, and because like they say, it's not about the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. So how do you yes. collect the Jimmy's and the Joe's? Because there are, and there's many ways to do it, yeah. but there are some processes that are better than others. And I would, you know, not being in the daily fold of Packerdom, 
I think one of the reasons you hold on to a guy like Clay Matthews is for the emotional appeal to the fan base. Yeah. And that's why a lot of guys hold on to their stars at the expense of the quality on the field. Yeah. Totally. But is, totally is there a validity to appeasing a fan base, too? Because it's a dollars and cents industry, and certain guys sell more than others. Well, here's the thing. Fans like to see your team win. I, I, you, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm pretty sure the Patriots fan base is pretty freaking happy with the last 20 years. No one swore off the Patriots when they let Vince Wilfork go. And he was exactly. still so good. No one swore off the Patriots when they let Troy Brown go. And he was still good. Yeah. And the list is yeah. endless, to your point. Um, Jamie Collins, playing really well for the Browns now. They let him go. They didn't want to overpay him. They found a replacement. Brandon Cooks. Simple as that. They found a replacement. <laughs> they ended up finding a replacement. Yeah, I mean, think about it. And that's one of the things that you're finding more and more as this Patriots run goes on and on is the Patriots are willing to say we're going to take a short-term setback for the long-term picture of having capital or spend when we need to. So when they wanted to go get Josh Gordon because they didn't overpay for Cooks, they knew, okay, well, we can go get Josh Gordon because now we know we have a hole that we need to fill and we can go fill it with this draft capital because we just got that draft capital back from our Cooks trade. Right. Also, thought, how, uh, and this circles back to our original Packers topic, how valuable are draft picks anymore? Given as valuable the, as you are good at using them. God. No, I mean, like, I that's think, very no, no, seriously That's the, the perfect case. answer, because, because my, my point on that that's was... very seriously the case. Yes, yeah. My point on that was that how many of these guys don't pan out? Like, the vast majority. Let's think about this. The Two of the three best quarterbacks in the last two decades were not taken in the first round. Breeze and Brady. The other third best quarterback, I'm not counting Manning because he's retired now, but the other best third, the other best quarterback in the last two decades, Rodgers, 23 other teams could have picked him. So you're telling me that those 23 other picks were more valuable than Aaron Rodgers? Because I'm telling you, you're wrong. <laughs> I will not then take that stance. <laughs> but, I mean, the, my point about this is when you have known quantities of talent, so I think the Cooks the Cooks scenario is a better scenario because Gordon does have significant off-the-field concerns. Um which, obviously, my guess is that's something that scared the Packers away, which to me is dumb, but still. If you're telling me that you can go find Brandon Cook's level of production for third, a third-round pick, um, I would be pretty surprised. I wouldn't be super surprised because that happens. Russell Wilson, wasn't he a third-rounder? He was. So you can find gems late in the draft, but when you can trade specifically given the Packers' current situation, where they know what they have at quarterback, and they know that they should be surrounding him with talent, when you can go and get known commodities for unknown future potential commodities, I think you should be making those trades. Now, let's say, you know, let's say you're the, 
Let's see. Who doesn't have a quarterback these days? Let's say you're the Dolphins. I wouldn't be making those deals if I was the Dolphins. Because Tannehill, maybe, maybe not. The rest of the team, you're starting to get some talent. I really like their secondary. But other than that, you know, I, I wouldn't go get Brandon Cooks as the Dolphins because I don't need Brandon Cooks right now. I need to go fill out the rest of my roster. You know, <laughs> the funny thing is they got Amendola, right? Yeah. Miami is probably the easiest place in the world to recruit to in terms of free agents. So it would take an enormous amount of restraint to keep yourself from going after those guys. <laughs> It's Miami. Who wouldn't want to play yeah. football in Miami? I know, man. No state income tax and yeah. South Beach is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, Amendola seems like he's having fun, but you're probably yeah, right. Man. You're probably right in terms of where the team is at tra- on a trajectory. Um, although, gosh, a team like that <clears throat> has so much ambiguity for that trajectory. I don't yeah. know if they're on a plan. I don't know if they're one year away or two years away. They just started 3-0 and then got their ass handed to them in a game and then blew a 17-0 lead on the road and then just won with Brock Osweiler. I know. I, so, so that team is always ambiguous to me. I mean, they were a sixth seed with Matt Moore last year. Right. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't even know if Gase is a great coach or not, but... Anyway, topic for another day. Anything else on the uh, on the Packers scenario? Yeah. So yeah. the thing is, Aristotle writes about ethics and principles. Oh my gosh. This is. I can I just say, I love life. When my question is anything else on the Packers, and you say yes, Aristotle. <laughs> so yes, go ahead. So. The, every so Aristotle says you should live a principled life. You should set out your principles and live by them. But he also says that every every single situation and context you're in is unique to that situation and context, and the application of your principles can be different because each scenario is different. And I think what has happened with the Packers is they have fallen in love with one way of doing things to the detriment of the entirety of your organization. And they aren't wisely applying their principles. Right. <clears throat> I think that's well put. The one thing I'd add, you're closer to the Packerdom than I am given, um, you know, your, uh, your girlfriend is very close to the Green Bay community having grown up there. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure this is this topic has been discussed on Green Bay Sports Radio probably every single day for the last like three or four years. And even though Sports Talk Radio isn't the be-all, end-all, they probably dug, uncovered some more valid points than we have the ability to uncover right now. But there's, a, there's also a validity to coming at it from the outside in, too, and, and speaking yeah. truth to stupid. <laughs> and the one thing I'd just add is Ted Thompson was there forever. And this is the first year without him. So maybe that was a move to kind of address what we're talking about. Let's hope so. Because I don't want them to race waste Aaron Rodgers. That's <laughs> my thought that. for the day. That's our final thought. Connor, man, posterity is always great. It's great to see you. Great to talk to you, my friend. Yes, sir. All right. I'll see you later, man. Peace, brother. All right. Bye.